Welcome to the Life of Tea podcast, where we discuss tea as self-cultivation. All the life lessons, zen, awakening, and insights that come through a life of Cha Dao. This will be the focus of this podcast, developing and cultivating ourselves and our spiritual practice through tea. If you're interested in the more linear aspects of tea, how it's produced or made, you might want to check out our magazine, Global Tea Hut, which also includes those topics. If you're interested in the practical aspects of brewing tea, we have a whole series of videos on YouTube called Brewing Tea. Also, you're welcome to come to our center, Tea Sage Hut, here in Miali, Taiwan, and sit a 10-day course where we incorporate all these aspects from the linear to the brewing tea to the spiritual cultivation all together, and you can take a deep dive and immerse yourself and ground yourself in this beautiful practice. We're so excited to have this forum to discuss all the life lessons that we can cultivate together through tea. Welcome, put on a kettle, get out some bowls, and let's drink some tea together. Welcome to the 10th episode of Life of Tea. I'm sitting here drinking tea with Shen Su, um, who is the oldest serving student here at the Tea Sage Hut. And the reason why I'm sitting here with Shen Su is that I'm interested in a topic of surrender and devotion on this path of Life of Tea. Um, welcome back to the podcast, Shen Su. Hey, Janos. Thanks for having me back. I'm very happy to be here. So before we jump into the topic of devotion and surrender, actually give us a little bit of a backstory how you um, came to be the student here at the TSH Hut, because um, probably most listeners um, aren't familiar with that story. Yeah, sure, no problem. Um, it's a, it's a definitely a personal story, so I'll, I'll keep it relatively short. But um, essentially, I, I wound up at a tea farm in the Alishan mountain range area here in Taiwan, and I was doing uh, like woofing, willing workers on organic farms. And I had I had organized this uh, like internship at a farm there, and uh, where I would I would uh, work in exchange for a learning experience. And I want to learn about like oolong tea production. Um, so in, in I also would teach this family's children English who, who lived at this tea factory. And so I went there right at the start of the uh, harvest season and found myself right in the midst of it all, which was like a dream come true for me. Um, and then as soon as the harvest season ended, we started doing field work. And that's where everything became much more real because I quickly found out that... Um, these particular farmers were conventional farmers, meaning they were using chemical pesticides like, um, or chemicals like pesticides, herbicides, and fungicides. Um, and so to be like directly exposed to that and to see that whole process was very challenging for me, especially at a time when I was doing a lot of uh, studying up on organics and sustainable farming practices and alternative farming practices. So, um, <laughs> I kind of sent out this email to a bunch of friends when I found myself in this predicament, kind of asking, you know, for a bit of help and what to do in the situation, especially because there was such a big language barrier. Um, and I couldn't really express my concerns or my reasons for being concerned to the family and the people I was working with. Uh, and they definitely figured something was wrong. So I got a response from uh, a few people. And one person in particular said, hey, you know, why don't you go to this place called the Tea Sage Hut? It's in Miaoli City. And there's a Western teacher there who can probably, you know, help you with your, your problems and your issues. 
So I checked it out online. This was about seven years ago. And um, I thought it just looked like a great place. So I contacted them, set up a, a visit. Uh, I talked to the host family that I was with at the farm and everything was arranged. Um, and I found myself at the Tea Sage Hut, um, like maybe a month and a half into that internship uh, in the farm. And uh, I just loved, I was, I was blown away that such a place existed because as soon as I got there, you know, there was tea ceremony, there was meditation, there was healthy food, there was uh, camaraderie and laughter and a sense of authenticity at this, this, uh, this place. And there was this great reverence towards tea through it all. And I was blown away that such a place existed. And I was very intrigued because I was, you know, a guest watching what was going on, seeing how the students were um, serving and volunteering and um, behaving. And I was able to participate in the ceremonies and all the daily activities. Um, and uh, so after 10 days, I was just totally blown away that such a place existed. And I knew immediately that I wanted to come back. So I made that known to the teacher and the other students. And um, But of course, I had some commitments to finish at the farm. And I even had another internship um, set up already at another completely different farm in a different country. And I was committed to doing that too. So I did all of that. I stayed in touch with everyone here at the center. And um, like three months after my initial visit, I pretty much went back home for a couple of days, visited my family, came right back to the center. And I've been a student here ever since. And it's going on almost six years now. Hmm. So you're from a small town in British Columbia, Canada. How did you become interested in tea, actually? <laughs> yes, I'm from a small place called Vernon, BC. Um, beautiful place in the Okanagan, if you ever get a chance to go. Um, but anyways, I ended up going on an exchange to Japan in my fourth year of university. And um, I was able to take some really interesting uh, like Japanese fine arts courses. Part of that was flower arrangement. Part of that was the Ikebana and part of that was uh, shamisen. And through that, I met a friend, um, a mutual kind of um, international exchange friend. And um, she was connected to this monk at this temple in Daitokuji in uh, Kyoto, Kyoto City. Um, and so she invited me along. And this was the first time I'd ever been exposed to a temple or, you know, mosque gardens and um, meditation and tea. And so I was immediately kind of hooked and, and interested in it, especially because I had an upbringing in like martial arts. And so um, that kind of like Asian kind of flair had my attention. Um, and so we ended up sitting meditation every day and cleaning the mosque garden and drinking tea with this monk and his wife and his kids would run around. And we would do this every day before going to like university and studying at school. Um, and so anyways, after doing that for a handful of months on my exchange, I came home, um, wanted to continue my meditation practice. And I just so happened to like find this little meditation circle where I grew up and where I was going to university. And one of the fellow sitters was also uh, like into tea business. So he would invite me over and we would meditate and we'd drink tea and it just all kind of grew from there. And then once I graduated and wanted to start farming and, and woofing and getting out and having a bit of uh, hands-on experience, um, in the agriculture world, I uh, tried to combine that with, you know, tea as well. So my love for farming and my new love for tea. And that's what took me to like some of the tea farms in different, different countries around the world. And like the one I mentioned in Ali Shan, that's how I ended up there. Mm -hmm. The martial art you mentioned that you grew up practicing, was that Aikido? 
Um, I grew up practicing both judo when I was very young, and then that evolved into yeah Aikido when I was in university. Mm -hmm. Was that the reason why you wanted to go to Japan in particular? Uh, that was one of the reasons. I'd always wanted to go there. I had Japanese friends growing up. Uh, my parents hosted Japanese exchange students, and I was very lucky because I was able to study Japanese in high school, which was really strange because again I grew up in a small hometown in a small town. And uh, usually it's just, you know, French would be the only other second language you'd study. But we had this one teacher who spoke a few different languages. And so I was able to take Japanese. And so all of that eventually led to my, you know, uh, my uh, my international exchange trip to to Japan. Mm -hmm. And also your name hasn't always been Shinsu. So um, what's the deal with that? And also what, <laughs> what does Shinsu mean? Yeah, so um, my former English name was Shane Mars. And um, of course, that's still my my legal my legal name on my birth certificate. Um, Shunsu was the name that was given to me in this tradition after I took initiation, and once I took uh, the next kind of ceremony into the tradition uh, called precepts. So I actually wrote my own precepts, um, took a more formal ceremony with the teacher in this tradition, and um, essentially committed myself more to this tradition, to being a representative, um, to taking on, to embodying more of the teachings. And um, that resulted in um, a, a, a traditional name or, or a tea name, which everyone gets when they take their precepts. Mine ended up being Shansu. And um, those two characters together mean sacred and ordinary. Um, and Chinese characters are very flexible, so you can look at it as sacred ordinary, and you can also reverse it into ordinary monk. It would maybe translate as. Um, anyways, most people just call me Shun because it's kind of convenient in English, and it sounds similar to my former name. Um, but the the full name is Sun Su, and uh, with two downward tones for the Chinese characters, and it does mean sacred and ordinary, which is um, also very similar to. One of the meanings of tea, because tea itself is very, very, very ordinary. It's just leaves in hot water. Um, and at the same time, we can elevate it to something extraordinary uh, and ceremonial and, and very, very sacred. And uh, I love that aspect of tea because, because the big difference between tea being ordinary and extraordinary is really our orientation towards the tea. And if we can do that with tea, that suggests we can do that with other aspects of our life as well whether it's, um, you know, walking up the stairs or brushing our teeth or driving a car. You know, if you take those simple mundane activities, which make up the large portion of our life, probably 90 plus percent. And if we, um, if we invest a little more consciousness and energy into those daily activities, um, so much more of our life can become extraordinary or extraordinary or, or sacred. Um, not to say every element has to be, but what it does is it starts blending the boundary between what we think of as ordinary and what we think of as extraordinary. And because most of our life is comprised of so-called ordinary moments, and we realize our power to um, orient towards them in a different way and how that can change everything, um, that's very empowering. So um, this name is an ideal that, you know, all, all these precept names are ideals that we have to work towards every day. And it's kind of a beautiful thing to have a name uh, with such a great ideal that we can always strive towards. It has meaning, it has purpose. And uh, that's a big difference from having an English name, which didn't necessarily have any meaning before. It was just, you know, sounds and a name that I would respond to. Mm -hmm. So you resonate your with your Dharma name? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and like I said, keep in mind, it's an ideal. 
and uh, I'm always trying to strive towards it. And ideals are such that we never really attain them. And so it's always going to be an ongoing journey. And I'm definitely happy to take that up and pick myself up because I fall down all the time. Hmm. As do we all. Um, now, growing up and going to like high school and, and university, did you ever imagine yourself coming to um, like a tea center or any sort of like <laughs> monastic setting and and uh, uh, becoming a full-time student or devoting yourself to a path? Um, kind of yes and no. Again, I was always kind of eastward bound at some point in my life. Um, and that once I did get involved in certain types of uh, tea and meditation, when I first went on exchange, um, I ended up going to a Vipassana retreat, like a 10-day meditation retreat. And that spoke to me very deeply. That resonated with me a lot. Um, and I definitely... Um, served a Vipassana course as well. And I loved that communal aspect, that aspect of service that definitely spoke to me, that felt meaningful and purposeful. And um, I didn't really know exactly where that was going to take me. I never thought I would end up at like a tea school or a tea center. And like I said, that such a place even existed was pretty, um, uh, pretty unknown to me. So I definitely could not have predicted ending up here, but um, ending up in maybe Asia or in some other like monastic setting would have been on my mind from time to time, but you know, life throws you a bunch of curveballs. You n you never know what's going to happen. Do you feel happy uh, right now being here and serving at the TCA chat? Um, absolutely. I would say absolutely yes, but happy is also an an interesting word to use. I would say I feel very fulfilled, um, and I feel a lot of different emotions fully as a result of living in this life. And that's more important to me than just being happy because happiness kind of comes and goes. So yes, I'm definitely happy here at times, but I also struggle through a lot of other emotions. And this gives me the time and the space to work with those, to reflect on them and to feel them fully. And to me, that's much more important than just uh, like obtaining more happiness. So yeah, yes and no. Mm, that's a good insight. I like that. So in a traditional, like Western sense, um, devoting yourself to an ideal or like going kind of like off the grid and, and leaving the, the world behind you and devoting yourself uh, and kind of surrendering to your path is not a very popular idea in the West mm. right now, I feel. So what are your thoughts on that? And how do, how do your um, friends and family back home? Yeah. I mean, it's a good point. I'm definitely, I'm very, very lucky and privileged and I have a deep sense of love for my parents and my family because they've always supported me in, in everything I've done, especially like in my world travels and, you know, my life choices. And they definitely don't understand all the choices I've made, but that's the beautiful thing is they've always been fully supportive of it. So I feel very privileged in that sense. I don't know how many parents um, are like that. Um, and the more and more I've committed myself here in, in this you know, different country across the world in this tradition, um, their support has, has, has maintained, which is amazing, but there's always, there's also been this like developing sense of uncertainty and unknownness to it. Cause they really don't know exactly what I'm doing, which is fine. A lot of people don't, and it's, it's difficult to explain because it is so different from like a mainstream way of life. Um, and so it's difficult to like explain that to people and you just have to let them be worried sometimes. A lot of my friends were much more accepting of it because, you know, they grew up with me and more or less knew who I was and what was important to me. And that I made this decision is, is uh, you know, totally fine in their mind. And so again, for my parents, it's just like lots of support, uh, definitely lots of confusion, but the support reigns, uh, comes through and, and that's really awesome. So 
for me as well, it just makes sense more experientially. It's difficult to like convey that in logical words again, because it is so opposite of like a typical mainstream lifestyle. Um, but it's definitely suiting to me and, um, I know why I'm here and that's, that's what's gonna, that's what's allowed me to stay here for so long because I know why I'm here and there's such a beautiful vision and working towards that, uh, brings a lot of purpose and fulfillment to my life. Mm -hmm. So in your own words, what would you say that vision that you're working towards is? Right. So the vision is actually very clear. Um, it became evident to me as soon as I got here and it's, it continues to, um, maintain clarity as I spend more and more time here. And the vision really is to awaken to presence through tea. This is a tradition of, of tea. It's a tradition of service. And in any way that we can facilitate an awakening to presence um, is so important. And to be a part of that is that's what's fulfilling. That's what gives your life purpose. Um, because I've experienced that awakening to presence on countless occasions through tea. That is so much of what a tea ceremony can facilitate and awakening to presence. And I want to be able to share that with other people through whatever that means, whether that's through literally also serving a tea ceremony, but more realistically through doing the dishes, through taking out the trash, through taking the dogs for a walk, to paying the bills, because all of those things are necessary to actually make this place real, to, to keep this place going. Um, and that's what it, more or less it means to live a life of tea. Because it is that it's a life which encompasses everything. It's not like a part of your life that you do on the side and then you go back to your regular life. Um, everything becomes a part of that. And the more and more you can maintain contact with that and how it's connected to the vision, uh, the easier it is to take on whatever responsibilities come your way and, and just do them with all your heart because you see how they're connected to this greater vision. Um, so whether you're actually serving tea or doing something um, that is related to the service of tea, you, you start to see how everything becomes related to tea when you start living a life of tea. Mm, interesting. Yeah, I love this thought that um, everything we do in a day is connected to tea and, and is, you could, you could say, is tea. Um, that's something that's, that was very new to me when I, when I came here or when I first um, became aware of this tradition back in 2012. In the West, we're so used to compartmentalizing our lives. You know, um, there's work time and then there's me time and then there's like chores that we do and errands that we run. But I think part of what makes successful people successful and leaders, uh, exceptional leaders uh, great is that they understand how the, all the little things are connected to the bigger vision and how they're necessary. And, uh, and they don't have that separation between you know your your vision or your path and the all the little things like tying your shoelaces and brushing your teeth and you know like taking out the the rubbish which is it's all part of it now um there are definitely some things that you've had to sacrifice and let go to be here what are some of the things that have been more challenging to let go of wow yeah i mean over the years yeah, so let's let's first of all clarify that this, you know, when we say this is a tradition of a, a tea tradition, um, that really means this is a tradition of service. So in our tradition, we often say we're not here to learn how to make tea. We're here to learn how to serve tea. And part of service of tea does literally mean making it and preparing tea and brewing tea. Um, 
but it is a service of tradition. Uh, sorry, it is a tradition of service. And that's really important because it requires a lot of energy to keep this place running, to make this space and this time available for guests to come here and experience what it means to live a life of tea. And that's so much of what we do. And it really is the student's responsibility and the teacher's responsibility to create that time and space for the guests so that we can be of service to them. And the interesting thing is they are very much of service to us as well because without any guests coming to our center, who are we to serve and how can we learn what it means to serve? So it's this beautiful kind of uh, um, giving and taking between you know um, guest and host where we are, we are being of service to the guests and they are both being of service to us. Um, and so that requires a lot of sacrifice because in a tradition of service, you often will take on more responsibilities over time. And as you take on more responsibilities, you will have to sacrifice more. So in the beginning, it's, it's kind of easy because you're there, everything's fresh and new and exciting, and you're more or less a guest uh, yourself in the beginning. And then slowly, once you've committed yourself a little bit more, you'll take on some daily responsibilities. And the more and more time goes on, you'll take on more and more responsibilities. And it will eventually, um, depending on your capacity for service, will start to pull at you and pull at your ego or pull at your your um, desire for personal time or, or whatever it is that's important to you that you're not getting because you're actually spending a lot of time serving this space in one way or another. And so inevitably, everyone has to sacrifice um, a large portion of their free time, right? And in the West, you know, especially I speak from my own experience, I grew up having lots of free time where I could go out on weekends and go camping or go hiking or go to the gym or just watch a movie or do whatever I wanted. Uh, whenever I wanted, and I didn't have to think about others. Um, and so slowly you, you have to start sacrificing that, like that, the importance that we attach to that personal time. Um, and just, you, you, you let go more and more and more and it might pull at you. But if you're like really serving authentically, you also start to see the benefits of that because, um, you're often serving people and you see how that service benefits them. Uh, both directly and indirectly. Sometimes they'll even come up to you and thank you and be grateful for everything you gave them. And um, that's really that's really nice and rewarding. But indirectly as well, you know what you're doing and creating the space for people to come in and live a life of tea. Uh, that, that alone is enough. Just being part of a way of life is enough um, because I grew up without a way of life, um, without like a tradition or a, without being in a lineage. And so to be involved in that all of a sudden and have responsibilities within that tradition, that that's actually enough because learning how to live a life in general is, is a really rare thing to come by these days. And uh, it's done so very purely here, very beautifully, very um, rigorously. There's lots of discipline. There's lots of opportunities for learning. Um, and it's a great space to make mistakes and then learn from those mistakes as well. Um, because like I said, as you, as you stay here more and more, commit more and more, therefore sacrifice more and more, um, you will take on more responsibilities and thus make more mistakes, um, which is really that many more opportunities to to learn if you are, you know, committed and diligent and really like integrating all of this stuff and turning it into fuel for growth. Mm -hmm. So would you say that the most challenging thing to um, let go of has been the personal time? 
Yeah, I guess I will. Now it's kind of funny for me to think about that because I literally have no personal time and that's no problem to me anymore. I've completely surrendered to that and completely accepted that. Um, in the beginning, it would have been a little more difficult for me, especially like within the first two years. Um, the center was growing so fast. We started receiving more people that required more service from all the students. Um, and that meant more sacrifice. And yeah, losing that personal time that I was so accustomed to growing up for, you know, 25 years in the West, uh, that definitely like pulled at me at times. I desired that. I wanted that. Um, and I wanted that above, you know, serving someone else. And then this really, um, you know, Wuda, my teacher, gave me this really beautiful piece of wisdom, which I still reflect on today and uh, I, I plan to be reflecting on for probably the rest of my life because it's very deep. And he said, you know, it's ironic because one of the best forms of self-cultivation, which is kind of what we want on one level when we want personal time, we want to cultivate ourselves through meditation, through yoga, through tea practice, through cooking, through doing whatever it is we love to do. Um, the ironic thing is that that the, the best form of self-cultivation is actually service to others. Um, and when he told that to me and I started reflecting on that, um, that really changed my perspective towards this service and the work I was doing. And actually that to use the word work is really funny because this isn't a job. It's not a business. I'm not here working and getting paid. I'm volunteering. I don't make any money at all. And I work long hours every day and I'm always increasing my capacity to, to do more work. Um, and so understanding why I'm doing this is really important. Otherwise there'd be no motivation. I wouldn't, there'd be no, um, there'd be no point, no reason. But when I started viewing the jobs I was doing, not as work, but as an honor and as service, um, my, my joy in that work increased, my capacity for work increased, my energy increased. And, and as long as I maintained contact with that idea that this is service and it's an honor to, to participate in this, um, everything really changed. It wasn't just a job that I was going to and I was doing to like make money or make ends meet or whatever. And there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that. But to shift my orientation towards all of this sacrifice I was making to take on more responsibilities and thus do more service and thus have more opportunities to, to be honored, uh, that really shifted everything and made sacrificing uh, the things I had a bit easier. Or actually, I should say a lot easier. Mm -hmm. So shifting your orientation has made a big change. Yes, absolutely. And it, it, the funny thing is, it always does. It's always a, a shift in orientation towards whatever it is you're doing. The key is figuring out how to make that shift for you in that specific situation. Mm -hmm. Do you still sometimes encounter some sort of resistance towards some tasks? I guess so. I mean, definitely. Every, no one's perfect. And from time to time, I'll slip into that mindset um, and, and lose perspective, essentially. And that's more a result of um, like losing balance with some of the basics. Like if I don't get enough sleep, if I'm not meditating daily, if I'm not getting my daily tea, if I'm not exercising, uh, if I'm not getting these like daily basic things in, it's very easy to lose perspective and then sink into that frame of mind of, ah, this is work. And, you know, I want to just have some me time and just chill out and watch a movie. And um, so actually just like maintaining those like basic necessities of life um, helps me always maintain perspective and more and more it's easier to just like accept the sacrifices and, and, and really, really feel honored to take on these responsibilities and these tasks. 
And like I said, more, it's very easy for me now to just say like, you know, I don't have any personal time. There really is hardly any desire for that. Um, and part of that's also scheduling. Our center is very organized. Everything is scheduled very well. And we also schedule in um, break time as a community between courses. And uh, on a personal level, I have a schedule that I stick to. And that allows me to, um, again, incorporate those really basic things in my life, like sleep, exercise, food, meditation, and tea. Mm -hmm. So after being here uh, now for, I think, five or six months, I feel that for me, it has become easier to let go of my personal time and and uh, the desires that I had for, uh, you know, whether it be physical desires like for food or for companionship or things like that. Um, over time, they've kind of like gone down a bit or like it feels like the volume has has been turned down to like a manageable level. Um, in the first couple of weeks or, or months because, you know, you come from from the outside world where everything is, is pretty saturated. Um, you also have like more, like stronger desires towards um, a lot of things. Uh, is that something that you've, you've felt over the years as well? Has it become like easier to deal with, with your uh, desires? Um, well, it's kind of interesting to hear you say that because I've, I've seen a lot of students, you know, come and go in this tradition in many different ways, in many skillful ways. People come, they learn, they take what they've learned, and then they go and share that with the world. Um, but in my experience, like watching a lot of students come in, like I said, it's typically very easy and, and rewarding in the beginning. You see the progress. It's a fresh new experience. Everything's really exciting. Um, and we're more than willing to like take on a few responsibilities here and there. And then what typically happens is that starts to get to people over time. And that depends for the individual. That might happen in a matter of weeks. It might happen in a matter of months. And it might even happen over a year or two for some people. And then they reach that point where they have, you know, given what they really had to serve. And then it's time for them to go back and take care of other important aspects of their life, whether it's a family or a job or, you know, education or whatever it is, um, some other calling. Um, so typically it doesn't actually get easier. It usually gets a lot harder because you take on more responsibilities and therefore you have to increase your capacity in order to, to maintain that and in order to keep perspective. Um, and everyone's going to get to like a threshold where they're really going to have to buckle down and push through. Because if you think of like the, the classic analogy of digging the well, it's always super easy to dig in the beginning. The soil is tilthy and fresh. And then you get a, you know, a couple of feet down and you hit some clay and you go a bit further and you hit some rocks. And at that point, that's where most people break and then go and start digging somewhere else because it's easier and softer at the top of the soil, right? And as the analogy goes, if you continue doing that, you're never going to, um, you're never going to strike water and water represents enlightenment. And, and that getting to water is going to require a long time and lots of persistence Lots of per lots of perseverance, lots of work, and working through those really difficult layers, which is so much easier said than done. I'm sitting here comfortable, like talking about it as if you know it's really easy, and it's not. It's extremely difficult, and something. It's challenges that we're always going to face along the path, no matter how long or short you've been doing it. Um, and so it typically gets more and more difficult as you go along. And so it's really, really important then, if you're going to come through those difficult layers, those difficult those difficult stages 
to maintain perspective. Again, take care of yourself on a personal level and also understand why it is what you're doing. Maintain contact with that vision like we talked about before. And when you've got contact with that vision, which is often something much greater than yourself, it's, it's very motivating to work towards that, right? That's why having a vision greater than yourself is so important because when you maintain contact with it, it helps you through all of those times when you struggle, you know, and as, as all, another really good tool for that is, you know, if you ever do take precepts or if you've got vows that you can uh, reflect on, they're also excellent times to reflect on those when you face those really challenging times because they will always help you make the right decision to get through. Um, so it, it unfortunately never gets easier. It always gets harder, but you increase your capacity. You maintain contact with that, with that vision. Um, and, uh, that's really what's going to be helpful to push through. There's going to be lots of individual things for each individual person that help them in their own way. And that's something, you know, Google can't tell you. That's something you'll just have to figure out on your own over time. Um, but it's, that's part of the journey. And that's what it's so much about. It's not about getting to that future vision. It's about enjoying each present moment on the way there. Of course, it's about the journey. We are beings of the journey. So we have to maintain perspective and we have to find out what that means for us. And we have to know the vision and uh, find out why that's important for us in order to keep going. Mm -hmm. You're absolutely right. I also, I haven't felt that it gets easier as you go. There's definitely challenges to work through and, and it can be a struggle, uh, especially at times. And, and it's just like living in the outside world is like you go through these peaks and, and valleys of life or if you want to look at it um, as an ocean you know there's waves like you're surfing you're surfing the wave and then you know the wave eventually like dies out or crashes and then you have to you know paddle again and and wait for the next wave to to carry you and and get back up um, that happens here as well so there's periods where i feel lots of enthusiasm uh, towards service and uh, and towards the vision and then there's uh, times that you know like I uh, it, there's there's more it's it's more challenging more difficult for me um, but what I meant rather was um, that uh, in the first couple of weeks or months um, my worldly desires for like entertainment and food and companionship and you know just going out and you know having a chat with somebody like meeting new people all of that was stronger and now um, I've I've been able to like let go where it, it has sort of like I feel like the volume has been turned down a little bit mm. so they're not as, as strong in me um, but m uh, my question actually also was about um, how to deal with desires skillfully when those desires come up from time to time that you you know like would rather be sitting at a movie theater and watching a movie or or you'd rather go out and you know chat up a girl like how to, how to deal with those desires? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a really good question because we're all like going to face that um, throughout, throughout the journey no matter what. I don't know if we'll ever like break through that, um, that conditioning that's so heavily ingrained. And I mean, that's one of the beautiful things of having uh, like a life, having a way of life is it gives you the tools and the resources to, to do just that, to work through those challenging times, to work with those desires and if you face those, you know, just think of your way of life and what are the tools it has to offer. Obviously, like sitting down and, and drinking some tea in that moment is going to be an excellent opportunity for you to um, awaken up to present moment, 
see the clarity of things, take a step back, take a breather, um, and get out of, um, cause the, the only, the only issue is our relationship to the issue itself. Right. And so to step outside of that, which you can do in a moment of, um, presence, um, is, is very, is going to help guide you. So just sitting down and having a simple tea session in those moments is really going to help guide you because it's, it's an inward journey. You're going to, you're going to have moments of, um, introspection. You're going to reflect on, on those things and you're giving them time and space to be right. That's the beauty. That's the beautiful thing about having a tea ceremony, especially with yourself is you're creating that time and space for presence. That's also a beautiful thing to do with others. But because we're talking about like personal challenges and personal desires, definitely like sit down and make some tea. Um, another tool would be meditation. You know, it's easy to say, but the times when we want to meditate the least are the times when we need to meditate the most. And again, if you can do that and just sit still and be calm through that egoic storm, through that mental storm, through that emotional storm or whatever it is we're going through, um, that's really powerful because you're giving yourself the time and the space to let that be just as it is and then let it pass because that's the rules and that's the laws of nature is everything will arise and it will pass away. And if we give it time and be patient with it, um, we can observe those in a very balanced way. That's the power of equanimity, which is something you can cultivate through meditation. It's just like another byproduct of this tool that you can then use again and again when you face these challenges. Um, another tool. So we've got tea, we've got meditation. Another one's the community. When you live in a community of people working and um, supporting each other and working through their own stuff, you can go to someone, you can talk to them, you can address those problems directly, or you can just you know, be in the company of other people. That's really powerful and address them indirectly um, and maybe ask them if they want to have some tea and then talk about it. So like living in a community is super, that's why family is so important. That's why um, friends are so important. That's why that support network is there. Um, again, if you're someone who has precepts, you can always fall back on those precepts and whether they're yours or not, if you just know the like basic 10 Buddhist precepts, you could fall back on those and look to those for help and guidance and support. Um, so again, this is like one of the beautiful things of having a way of life is it gives you these tools to help navigate um, all these challenges of life as they come up. And we're all old enough here to know that life's throwing a bunch of curveballs our way. And actually, this is one of the most powerful things I've learned in my six years of being here is what does it really mean to live a spiritual life? Because there's a lot of baggage around that. It sounds very confusing to people. It sounds very uh, woo-woo or la-la or, or just un unreal. Um, sounds like we're hiding or running away from something. We're acting like a hippie who just doesn't care. But actually what I've found in my experience is that a spiritual life is exactly about learning to navigate the vicissitudes of life as they come your way and learning to do that more skillfully. Right? And you do that more skillfully by, by sharpening your tools, your tools of meditation, your tools of tea, your tools of communication and listening, which is where the family comes in. Right? And when you've got those tools um, and you continue to sharpen them and use them, um, you're going to find that working through those desires is definitely not going to just become some easy task, but it is going to become something that's manageable. Um, and there's just so many other resources that come up as you start investing yourself in a way of life. Mm. Would you say that discipline and having a schedule also helps? Absolutely. You absolutely need discipline. That is medicine. I'm listening to myself say right now, I did not grow up very disciplined. 
Um, I wasn't wild and crazy and ridiculous, but I just wasn't disciplined. I was kind of lazy and easygoing and um, I was overly tolerable. Tolerability is a, a beautiful quality. And if more people were more tolerable, um, the world would be a happier place. But um, you can take that to a fault and be overly tolerable and overly accepting of injustices. And that's not the right type of tolerability to have. And so that's where discipline comes into play. Um, and discipline, as I'm, I'm learning now, especially more than ever, is um, I love how people are referring to it as self-love instead of self-discipline, because self-discipline has this negative connotation around it, as if like, you know, you get self, you get disciplined or you discipline yourself and that's putting yourself down and being negative, um, which is not the case. It's actually, if it's the opposite, it's if you really love yourself or you love someone else who you are disciplining, um, you're, you should be more than willing to do the right thing. And sometimes that means uh, scolding or criticizing or facing that consequence that you brought on by being undisciplined and then committing to never doing that again and laying your sword down and being really diligent about that. And at the same time, being compassionate onto your past self for all the mistakes that you've made, because that's really important. And a lot of people talk about um, self-love and self-compassion, but often we can confuse that as a license to keep making the same mistakes again. So the trick is to orient ourselves skillfully to what it actually means to be self-disciplined, to do the things um, that are that are to do the things lovingly for yourself that are important for your personal growth, which are always difficult and challenging things to do. And also at the same time to then be compassionate onto your past self and all the mistakes you made, because that's already come and gone. So you might as well be compassionate onto them, but commit to never making those same mistakes again uh, as best you can. So it's this interesting thing where you really need discipline. Sometimes you have to find it from external source, like maybe a teacher or a fellow student or a community, and that's good, but eventually you have to take it on to yourself and have to start disciplining yourself and learning what that means for you. Because if it's always being relied upon an external uh, source, um, that's not going to serve you on your personal path of growth. So absolutely, self-discipline is, is so necessary to grow. And in this generation, in my experience, it's, it's a very soft one. I grew up very soft. And so I'm working my way uphill now towards learning what self-discipline means and, 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 and uh, taking it on to myself. Um, and I think a lot of people are in that same situation. Um, and again, there's so many good tools out there to, uh, to, uh, to work through these challenges that we face that require self-discipline. Mm -hmm. I agree with that. I also grew up kind of, my childhood wasn't especially uh, difficult or, or I wasn't discipline too much so i have a similar a similar challenge kind of an uphill ba battle of uh, staying disciplined and it's very easy in the outside world to kind of get lost and and lose your self-discipline there's more support definitely here uh, for that and definitely i feel like if you commit yourself to a vision or being in service of others that will provide sort of a framework or or like a support structure for you Because um, oftentimes I remember that, you know, I can't let myself go. I can't be lazy or I can't um, compromise my my schedule or my um, discipline because I'm in the service of others. So that helps me to um, stay on the on the right path. Mm. Um, I love what you said earlier that um, about um, things arising and then passing away. Um, this is perhaps like if I was ever to get a tattoo, if, if there was something that I would Um, get tattooed on my arm or, or something as a reminder then 
then uh, that sentence, uh, this tool shall pass, would be the sentence probably. Because this is a reminder that I so often need, and I feel we all need that reminder that whatever it is, uh, this too shall pass. Whether you're going through some hardships or whether you're just ecstatic because whatever you desired just happened. Like you, you won the lottery or you, um, you finished the big task that you had spent time on doing for years or whatever. Everything will pass. And that's kind of a Zen medicine that tea and meditation have both um, given me. And just sitting, whether meditating or with tea, and realizing that whatever it is that I'm going through will pass as well. And I don't necessarily have to react to the desire or, or the strong feelings. And I can just sit and be is, uh, is a great realization, at least for me. Yes, I fully agree. And these are, again, two more like sub-tools of, of meditation and tea. Because as soon as you start meditating and, and drinking tea, typically you will be cultivating both your sensitivity and your equanimity. Um, that's definitely represented in this lineage of tea through the brewing methods and in meditation um, that's cultivated through, through just sitting. Um, and you, you increase your awareness and your sensitivity to things that are going on around you and in your life and in your body and in your mind and your heart and your spirit. And you also cultivate this quality of um, equanimity, which is like a balanced state of objectivity and accepting things just as they are. Um, and those are very much two wings on the bird of enlightenment, as it's been said by um, my teacher. And if those two wings are balanced, then you're going to be flying on a, on a straight path towards that, that vision. Um, and if one of those is off balanced, which in most of our cases it is, especially along the way, we are overly sensitive or overly equanimous. Um, we have to strike that balance to like maintain um, a straight path. So just, yeah, more and more tools that, that come to your aid as you need them on this crazy path of life through, through activities like meditation, like uh, tea practice. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I've also realized while being here or like, you know, three, three or four months into being here at the center is how important the middle way is. Uh, it's very easy for me to tend towards one of the extremes, either being, you know, like too loose and doing uh, whatever, whatever I feel like, or being, you know, too tight and just like, you know, putting my head down and, and getting into something that I like or, or think I need to learn and just like going all out and uh, forgetting other things as well. So um, what about you? Like, do you feel that um, you're pretty balanced in that way or do you tend to any of the extremes? Um, I mean, just personally, I tended more towards the, like the, the equanimous end of the scale. And that's what I'm very much working on in both my tea practice and my meditation practice is balancing that out uh, on the, the more sensitive side of the scale. So that's, that's where I'm working at right now. And we're, we're all coming from one end of the spectrum or another and trying to find balance. Um, and we're going to keep, you know, we're always looking for that state of equilibrium, which you can achieve at moments, but um, essentially it's always going to lead into a state of chaos, which is, again, a natural law. And so our goal is always to, yeah, come back and find that, always always be striving back towards that, that state of equilibrium between those two. Um, and then we can get really pushed off balance, again, with whatever life comes our way. So having the tools necessary to come back to balance is so important. Mm -hmm. 
you're definitely one of the most equanimous people I I know and and pretty like accepting and uh, open-minded. I guess uh, it must be a Canadian thing. <laughs> yeah, sometimes to a fault. I'm working on it. <laughs> yeah. So, is there anything you miss from the outside world? <laughs> no, I'm I'm gonna be pretty honest and and say no because. You know, we don't, I'm not just living in like a complete bubble here. We do. I, I love this tradition because it is very real. It's very authentic. You know, we do get out and like watch movies from time to time. We go out to the city, you know, we buy things. Uh, we definitely participate in life and talk with our friends and meet, you know, they're all tea friends. Um, we'll meet them and go out and, and, and participate in the world. And it's healthy. It's healthy to do that. I don't want to just be constricted to a, uh, like a, a temple life, um, forever in fact i think finding a balance between those two is really important because if if one of my goals is to like cultivate these tools to be a more balanced sensitive surrendered compassionate loving person um that's kind of easy to apply within that that realm of of the within the spiritual realm within the the temple space within the monastery um but you know we have to be able to also apply that out in the real world in real situations so have exposure to that's actually really important to to again we're always like working for overall balance in one way or another so um no i don't miss that but that's partly because i still have some contact with it and the nice thing is the contact that i have with it now is with these tools at my side and at my aid so i don't get so thrown off when i'm out in the world when i'm dealing with people and when i'm dealing with real situations so i don't miss it but um you know for for very logical reasons mm-hmm So one of the things aside from not having uh, your your personal time really here, one of the things that separates this place from the outside world is also that you don't really, like when you're committed like you are, you don't really have many like personal possessions either. Um, do you, is that something that you miss or do you even, would you ever consider actually like going and getting a job and a, and a house or an apartment and, and having a, a family or is that something that you've kind of let go and and you you only envision yourself in in a monastic setting well okay that's a bit of a loaded question but i mean in one sense no um there's always i won't lie there's definitely a very small percentage in me that that still perhaps thinks about that that more worldly life that family life or whatever that means Um, but that was very, that's, that for me stems from like conditioning of my culture and my upbringing. And it's not something I, 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 uh, I invest a lot of energy into. It comes up from time to time and it passes, um, which is fine. Um, I, I also, I always used to say to people when they asked me, like, are you going to be here forever? My immediate response was like, yes, of course, because, you know, I was so in love with everything that was going on here and what I was doing. And my answer pretty much still is thus, but I'm much more open to the possibility that anything can really happen. Um, so I am very surrendered and very committed to this tradition, to this lineage, to this way of life, um, to the point where I've, you know, I'll, I'll sacrifice pretty much anything and do whatever I can to uh, facilitate the movement of this this uh, lineage and tradition and community forward. Um, but again, you really never know what life's going to throw your way. And so I'm just always open to that mystery. Um, and I'm just never really knowing. So I'm just trying to maintain an openness to that. And at the same time, stay extremely like committed and, and, uh, surrendered and devoted in, in each present moment. Um, when I'm actually like working here in this tradition and in this lineage. 
Okay, thank you, thank you so much for sitting down with me and discussing this topic, um, Shenzhou. It's it's always a pleasure having these um, having these discussions with you because you have you've been on this path longer than me, and you have uh, lots of insights, and you also remind me of a lot of the things that I view as medicine for myself and and uh, things that I've learned over the years, but um, that sometimes slip my mind. Mm. No, I'm I'm more than happy to uh, to be here and to talk about these things. It helps me also to reflect on them for myself. And uh, maybe one last thing I'll mention is when it comes to surrender, because that's kind of what this podcast is also about. Is there's a, a notion towards it in the West, especially, and I used to have it, so I know, is that surrender is a form of uh, weakness. Um, you know, to surrender and let yourself down, it's kind of like quitting and it's weak and it's passive and. Um, Actually, in my experience, one of the most important qualities to commit yourself to anything is is the the act of surrender. Um, and in my experience now, actually practicing aspects of surrender, it's an extremely um, powerful powerful force. There is so much strength in surrender and putting yourself beneath um, beneath anything, right? Beneath an altar, beneath a teaching. Uh, beneath a uh, uh, community, beneath a beautiful, beautiful vision like uh, this community in our future center in this tradition. Um, and, and one beautiful analogy that my teacher always uses is, is that, that of the ocean. It's one of the most powerful um, forces on this planet. And, you know, what does water do? It puts itself beneath into the lowest parts of the world and all that wisdom can then come in. So if you're willing to put yourself beneath certain teachings and allow that wisdom in, you're going to allow a lot into your life and that's only going to come through surrender because through anything else like resistance, through righteousness, through um, through immaturity, through lack of discipline, you're not going to make time and space and openness uh, to allow those things into your life. It's really only going to come through surrender. And if there's one thing that um, is going to help anybody to commit to anything, whether it's a path um, or a relationship or whatever, it's definitely going to be um, surrender. So that's worth unpacking for yourself and looking into that more because I know that's one of the things that's allowed me to stay here um, for such a long time. What a beautiful thought to end on. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy this podcast, then help us reach more people by sharing this episode with your friends and family. Uh, your likes, comments and shares will go a long way and are deeply appreciated. Another direct way to support this project and the free tea center here in uh, Mioli, Taiwan, which you can come and also visit and take a 10-day course at, is to sign up for our monthly ad-free magazine, if you haven't already, that covers all aspects of tea, from brewing and processing techniques to history, lore, spirituality, and also the community aspect. It comes with a beautiful, sustainably produced tea every month, and if you want to subscribe or learn more about it, then go to globalteahut.org. If you're interested in the more linear aspects of tea, how to brew it and how tea is processed, where it comes from, then go to our YouTube channel, also called Global Tea Hut. I hope to meet you in the next episode of Life of Tea.